I'm working on right now being a husband before I'm a husband. Mm. That's how my dad, you know, he caught me my in the car with that. <laughs> he caught me in the car with that one day. He was just like, like he said, mm. hey man, you want to be a husband? Yep. He's like, you got to be one now. I think in this podcast episode, we realize that it would be an understatement to say that this man has many talents. We talk about family, faith, film, friendship, and wherever Caleb goes, success follows. He lives a life filled with integrity and compassion and empathy and work ethic. And I think that he is easily one of the next leaders of future generations to come. So I cannot wait to share this with you. My girls, my guys, my group. This is MG Method, the podcast. Caleb, would you give us your full name and where you were born? Yeah, yeah. Joshua Caleb Castile, and I was born in Columbus, Georgia. And at what point did you decide to go by Caleb? Oh, I didn't decide. My mom decided for me. <laughs> yeah, I had no no decision-making power in that. Uh, yeah, I don't know what really sparked it. I think her and I think it was a thing where my dad was like, I love Joshua. And she was like, well, I love, I really like Caleb. And obviously she got the better end of the deal. <laughs> Your yeah, dad's yeah. a smart man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, 37 years in, he's still making the good decisions. <laughs> Can you um, ex- uh, share with us what the community is like in which you were raised? Oh, my gosh. I think, man, the community that I was raised in, I would say it's interesting in Alabama. I mean, in Birmingham specifically, I was raised what they would say, like, over the mountain. So what the people in my city would consider like the line of segregation, I Mm. guess. Uh, It's like, oh yeah, you know, I live over the mountain or, oh yeah, or I live in the city, which is like, you know, within the city limits of Birmingham, which which is where, you know, all of the inner city environments. But anyway, so where I was raised is in the suburbs and yo, my community was one that was very protected, I would say, um, shielded. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, and not sheltered isn't yeah. the word, but I would say, I, I think it would be, no, I would say sheltered. I think, I think it was a lot of people in my community were sheltered, but for my home specifically, it was very diverse because I was, you know, obviously raised in a black family where, we live in a white suburb, but my dad is from, you know, the hood. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, I was watching Black Klansmen last <laughs> night and they and it was hilarious. Like John David Washington's character, Ron Starworth, was saying, he was like, you know, I'm I'm versed in in uh what he what in jive, you know, like basically <laughs> yeah. how black people talk, and then like proper, you know, Caucasian whatever, you yeah. know, how you want to so I feel like that was like me growing up of learning like how to talk, you know, to my family members and people that kind of were like in the hood. And, you know, we call it code, code switching. switching. Yeah. 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 So um, my community called for a lot of code switches, <laughs> my upbringing. So um, 
but you know, I grew up in a very godly home. Um, my dad, my parents, um, raised us in a, in a Christian home, uh, which one of the things I'm so grateful for is how my parents created a household that was built more on relationship with God and not religion. Mm. Uh, because, uh, one of the most profound things I think I've heard my dad say is, is, um, like rules without relationship breeds rebellion. So it's like, if you have rules in a house, but the kids don't have a relationship with the parents, mm. they, they, they get into this space where they compromise and they rebel. And it's the same thing. I, f- I believe that's going on right now yes. uh, in our, in our society. I think you have tons of rules and the people who are, whose responsibility is to make sure that citizens are abiding by those rules that relationship between law enforcement and citizens has been broken. Mm. That trust has been broken. That's all we're seeing right now. And people are trying to make it, you know, race has been a a big factor in it, but you're looking at a broken relationship. Mm. That's what I think we're looking at. I know I'm so off the subject right now. No. Anyway, my community no. is great. <laughs> no, please. Like, I love this. And, I, and it's interesting that you say that because I do think that what your family has brought up and what we see happening all over the world right now is that those rules also have to be demonstrated by the people that enforce them as well. Absolutely. So I, I'm guessing in order to continue that level of respect, that level of participation, you must have seen your parents in some way, shape or form be living examples of the rules that they try to put into place. hundred. Can you talk a little bit about just kind of the character that you saw of your mother and father and, and how you felt that that's kind of laid that foundation for you moving forward as a man? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, my dad is both of my parents have never said anything that they haven't done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they walk their talk, you know, and that's kind of what It was a big emphasis in our household, I would say, growing up is when there's a space of real, 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 genuine love, like unconditional love that gives freedom for mistake. So for mistakes, right, for for er errors in judgment or behavior or character. So there was never a pressure to like lie or be dishonest in our house because it was always like, man, like you can take anything to my parents. And my parents always put an emphasis on communication. And, you know, it was never any trouble unless you just (laughs) didn't open your mouth about something and then they find out, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, because you got all the opportunities in the world to just be open and come to me and let's talk about it and let's figure out a solution. You know, um, I just think that's the best way of kind of going about things or just protecting the peace of of your home. And my dad is a very, very disciplined man and a focused man. And he's had to be that way in order for him to come out of the upbringing Mm -hmm. that he did. So there are a lot of ways I didn't understand about my dad until I became a grown man and realized the differences of my upbringing and my community versus his and like what it took for him to make it out of there as a young black man and be married to his high school sweetheart and raise six kids. You know what I mean? So, you know, there was an intensity in our home 
but that intensity was only set because of the level of excellence that my parents not only expected out of themselves so therefore you know they expected it out of us in return i would say that my parents set a high standard in our home of how we're supposed to love um, ourselves and mm. how we're supposed to love you know uh, my siblings and love other people mm. um, my parents both love themselves they take care of themselves mentally physically spiritually they know how to disconnect and go get alone when they need that time. Um, it's taught all. Uh, it's taught me a lot about how I should invest in myself. Because if I invest in myself, then that return I get is what I can then invest in other people. Mm. So if if I'm not sowing into my into myself, like. I'm not going to reap anything to give to somebody else. So everything that I saw my parents give to us was what they had already sown into themselves. You know, I just big believer in just self-love and taking care of yourself and understanding that that is importance. And there's a fine line in that. Of course, you you want to be selfless, mm-hmm. you know, in, in how you love, uh, but there's a way to go about it. And um, I think that they were, did a great job balancing that. You know, we've been more recently kind of like, I think as a culture really started to adopt, adopt like self-care and wellness. And so sometimes we think those are really big things, really expensive things. Mm -hmm. Can you share what some of the practices were in terms of behavior that you saw your family participate in that people that maybe come from all walks of life may be able to incorporate into their day? For us, like my dad, just my parents just had a a set of values, right? That in a vision for their home, and um, that vision was cast by the values that they had. So it's like, okay, we're gonna have, you know, all right, we have this many kids. All right, what what values do we want to instill in them? And the only way that those values and principles become a way of life is by practicing those things, you know, daily. It's so both of my parents really, really encouraged us to have routines, right? So it's like, like I said, my dad is very disciplined guy. (laughs) So when I look back at it, all the only thing they were trying to get us to do, right? So it's like you, if you, if you uh, just wake up and focus on making your bed, right? The first thing you do is just make your bed. That's already something you've accomplished in that day, right? So even though it's the, the most minuscule thing, it can you can build discipline there. So it's like, man, you know how many times, Max, <laughs> that I got grounded for weeks wow. for not making my bed. <laughs> People look and they hear that. My friends be like, bro, it's a bed. And I'm like, dude, like, I mean, you get to be a grown man and that bed could be you Caleb, know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Caleb, I, let me put it like this. I didn't get grounded for not making my bed. So it is still a struggle. Right. <laughs> it is so, still a struggle because you, you do, you start showing up for yourself and like investing in self and it becomes a practice. It becomes a way of life. And I'm sure it dominoes into every other every aspect. Area. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, a- I, 
my friends would always be like, this is so cool. Like you guys don't get grounded for anything. You know, we didn't have chores, but yeah. guess what? You know, my, my bedroom looks like I didn't have chores and I didn't get grounded. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It is. And it's like, I think there's a balance, you know, it's, it's for me, I just, I, I feel like there's a period in time in my life where it's like you, it's like, man, okay. Like I'm so good at doing the big thing, but these little tiny mm. things, I just like, you know, you find yourself in a space where you're, you kind of neglect those small things, but really those small disciplines, the small victories is what I, I like to call them, the small internal victories. That's what makes like culminates like the bigger thing, the bigger picture, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. You know? It's like, yeah, it's like a microcosm of something that becomes much larger. What are some of the other like little um, micro wins that you look for in your day that you had growing up that we can start to evaluate for ourselves? Mm. You know what? For me, this is so <laughs> funny because <laughs> this is hilarious because I heard, um, Tracy Ellis Ross talk about this. And it's something that is the smallest, weirdest thing <laughs> you're her. ever gonna hear. But I but it resonated with me so <laughs> deep. Because Please share. Okay, so she talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> Going to the restroom on the the first time. The first time you feel your body, oh. I gotta pee. There's in listening to yourself, learning wow. to listen to yourself and, 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 and just adhere to that and realize that is such a small level of self-love of like, <laughs> my body is telling me I have to pee. How crazy is it that, that we ignore that? I, this is blowing my mind that you said this. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have not heard her speak on this. I went home this weekend and I had like a, an epiphany moment mm -hmm. where like my mom and I are getting out the car and, and she can't find her keys because these, yeah. you know, her and I, and <laughs> I'm going, mom, you gotta, you have to find that key. Like I have to run inside to go pee. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just cracking up because I'm sitting there and I realize that she does this later on in the day. Yeah, yeah. And I just really, it came full circle that this was something, a habit that I had adopted. And I thought, uh -huh. That's scary. Yeah, you know? yeah. This I'm, is wild. Okay, I'm so you. did you start to practice this after you heard Tracy or this was something that you would honor as a child? It was something that as a child, it was my downfall. And my parents <laughs> called it getting That's... into a tight because my mind runs a million miles per hour. Yeah. And so like going, stopping to go pee is just like the biggest because... interruption in what I have going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I would... My dad, I remember like he had to, it was a thing. Like yeah. it, I remember my parents always asking me, do you have to pee? And asking me like, are you being truthful? Oh, yes. Wow. I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, cause, cause there are so many times that I would get into a tight, what they call it. A tight, getting a tight. Getting yeah. a tight. And then <laughs> I would end up being awesome. Or something. Yeah. And, and my, cause of neglect. Yeah. You're just like not listening to yourself. And that's the smallest like thing of as a basic human being of saying my body is communicating to me and like that small level of neglect, like I just feel like can grow into something else much more harmful.
Mm. So it's like, when I heard her talk about that, I was like, man, like there's so many times where, you know, I'll just sit there and just ignore that signal from my mm. body until the very last minute. And minute. I'm like, and so when, but this is the thing that here's, here's the turnaround and the benefit of it. When I started, I think this is such a good principle because when I started going the first, at the first second, right? The first time I hear my, I feel my body, right? Communicate to that to me. I started doing that with every other mm. impulse and not negative impulses, right? But like text that person, oh, I'll do it later. Or write that email, oh, I'll do it later. Or make, or, you know, do, you know, check your investment account or, or get into that script. As soon as my brain, as soon as my brain like comes with an idea of like, you know, hey, you should be in your script, like not even wasting a second, just really getting into it. And I know that there's, there's some sort of like entrepreneurial principle that has to do something with that, where they talk about like, like if you, if you don't like make a decision on something mm. within the first five, five seconds. seconds that, yes. Yeah. It's like this five seconds. Yes. I think it's Mel Robbins. Yeah. And yeah. she, and, and just creating that sort of momentum to, yeah. to be able to take that action and know that like you're present and maybe you can help me with this because now I'm over here like, Caleb, let's work this out. Because for <laughs> me, what happens is let's say it was like I'm getting into that script or getting into something. Sure. Learning to then also employ the discipline and focus to stay in that thing because yeah. something else is going to pop up. So I'm in the script and then I'm like, oh, shit, I'm supposed to text. And then. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and so, you know, and I, I feel I, I started to realize like, man, I really feel like focus is something like is I know is like Fair really enough. challenging for me and something that a lot of us um, are struggling with because of the nature of our environment and the dish, the level of and these distraction. Uh huh. Yeah. And distraction. for those of you that can't see, Caleb just held up his phone. Yeah. You know, how do you navigate this? How do you really start to um, flex and, and train your your focus. I'll tell you what, and I learned this from my dad and also playing at the University of Alabama is like every one of us has decision making power, right? Mm -hmm. And usually what sways our decision is perception of how that decision we make will be judged by other people. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, so it's like, so yeah, I'll, bring, I'll unpack yeah. that. So it's like, I do these Every year I go either 30, 60 or 90 days unplugged, like wow, off Just of social no phone. media, oh. like no, not communicating with anybody. It's me and God. And I call it my dark room and people I've lost friends over these. I'm talking about I'll go and you won't hear from me for 90 days. I'll text you back in 90 days. Wow. And okay. And what is this? What is being in the dark room do for you? So it, mm. it, it helps me get in tune. Like, I feel like it's like, you know, I, I, and for everyone that's listening, like, okay, I'm, I, um, I'm a Christian. So I believe that I was made by God in the image of God. So it's like, okay, let's make that simpler. If I'm a BMW, right. Mm -hmm. You take that car in for maintenance back to its maker. A BMW specifically, the engineering on it is made so that only the person who has studied to build BMWs can do it. 
you can't just take a BMW to the AutoZone or Pep Boys. Like, you know what I'm saying? So for me, like I have to get before my maker and say, search me, show me me. And that takes time. And one thing in our society, like you're saying, okay, like how do I, how do I stay focused in that time? And that, and I think your focus is decided by your level of intensity. Like how bad do you want what you're seeking? How bad do you want the role? Right? So we're talking back to scripts. Mm-hmm, we're talking about mm-hmm. the script. I had a, a coach that was telling me, do read one of the things that I do when I read my script is I turn my phone off and read the script all the way through uninterrupted. Mm. Like I don't stop a page. Beautiful. Like one time all the way through uninterrupted, fully immersed in the story. Right. But what motivates me is really knowing that character and also being able to go in the room or take the job being the most prepared that Mm. I can be. So breaking it down, I think your level of focus is determined by your intensity. Like I said, the intensity of how bad do you want that thing? You know, whatever Mm -hmm. it is you're desiring. Like today, my dad, he was so fired up going to the gym like 6 a.m. this morning, like I've never seen him before. (laughs) And he's like, man, I got this word. I got this word from God. And bro, it's just it's just lit me on fire. You're talking about a 60 year old man. (laughs) Yeah, he looks incredible. Yeah, Yeah, his energy is just something. His energy is unbelievable. Yeah. And he's accomplished so much already in life. And he is still just chomping at the bits for every single thing that that like, yo, I want everything God has for me. Mm. And he was like, I do this because I want to. He put it like this. I do this because I want to so that when I have to, my spirit and my mind are already in a place of joy. So I take the time to do it when I want to do it. Every Mm. opportunity, I say, you know what? I want to do this today. I want to do this today. I want to do this today. I want to love like this today. I want to love like this today. Because when the opportunity comes where I have to decide to love that person, even though they befriended me, I already got the muscle memory. Okay. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's already built. To say, okay, even if I'm not feeling like it, I know the action to take in this moment. And it was so beautiful because I'm yeah. like, dude, you've been, that's, yeah, that's like, incredible. you've been doing this for so long and you get up, you're like, man, I still want to do it. Because he said, there might be a day where mm-hmm. my health requires me to get up and go exercise or mm-hmm. be disciplined in my diet this way. But now he's like, but right now I just do it because I want to. You know, that's incredible. It was just beautiful. It was, it was the most simple thing, but yet like so, so deep and helped me just, it just fired me up. Like, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, and it helps, I feel like, create that sustainable um, approach that, that you're looking for in any aspect of your life with regard to sometimes there are days like, and I love that you're acknowledging that there might be times you don't want to. Sometimes I hear so often like, Max, how do you stay motivated? And like just the acknowledgement that there's going to be days that you don't necessarily like feel like that or remind you to be grateful that you even have the chance to participate like that alone, which seems like your dad kind of keeps that um, perspective at the forefront so that 
he's just grateful to get the opportunity to show up. That's it. That's it. That old school saying is, I'm just tickled to be here, you know? <laughs> For real. Like yeah. a, when you when you run into that type of person, it's hard to compete with that human. Mm. It's hard to compete with them. Like they cause like they bring it when they just when then when they don't have to. Yeah. I show up like this every day because I want to. So mm. going back to what you were saying about focusing in, it's like, what do you want? Edit your principles, your attitude, and everything in a way that's conducive to getting what you desire mm. out of life. I think that's simple, right? I don't know. That equation just makes sense to me. Well, and, and I think it's fascinating because it's like one of those things where it's like, it's simple to do. It's just as simple not to do. Mm -hmm which is very scary, mm -hmm. but also exciting because even bringing your awareness to it, like the fact that you held up your phone means to me that you have taken time to evaluate what could be a perceived threat to what Absolutely. you want. You know, yeah. so sometimes we're like, okay, I'm trying to get in shape. And we know like obvious perceived threats of like, okay, me eating these donuts all the time is not going to help do this. But we don't think about you know, the, your attention having to be split between your phone and your script, that phone is a threat. A threat. You know, in that moment, that phone is a threat. And, and the thing is, threats can also be tools, but it depends mm. on when you're using them. Mm. And so Ooh. that is I'll like, that. ah, yeah. you know, and you have to figure out, is that thing currently a threat in this moment or is that thing or a tool? tool. That's and so it really good. depends on when you're using it. You yeah. know, and at what time? And it seems to me that you've at least, I mean, until this conversation, I had not even thought about those things, about some of the things that are in your environment and, and become part of your life design helps create an, a space for you to do that. I was reading this book. I want to share with you really quickly. I think you'll appreciate this. Of course. Um, Atomic Habits by James Clear. And they were talking about you know, environmental design in terms of like they had, they went into low income schools, they went into the cafeterias and they, they noticed that all these kids were drinking soda. But when they started to look at the design of the cafeteria, there was a ton of soda and zero, like zero to one outlets of water. So they were like, mm. okay, let's just put water on every corner of this cafeteria. So they strategically started to design where the water was. And yeah. it really just changed the health with regard to these students because they just were picking. Yes. Yeah. Like you're designing <laughs> even your space and your, in, in that dark room that you're in, you are strategically designing yeah. that space for you to re to really create that intimacy Absolutely. intentionally there's that's that is that's so brilliant what you, what you just described because like there are a lot of things that um there's this verse in 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 genesis and it says and he's talking to adam god's talking to adam and eve and he, adam and eve and he tells them be fruitful and multiply and we always think that means sex and re and you know, um, um, having children, mm -hmm. but he's saying, be fruitful in all your ways and multiply. So he's, and he's, he's talking about building, being an architect in your mind and in, in the world. So it's like in that space, I'm my own architect. It's like, okay, God, show me my tools. Show me which tools I don't need. Mm. Number one, um, that's why I said that earlier is uh, David 
King David talks about that in 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 um in Psalms. He he tells God to search him, find the error in me, you know, find the error in my heart, my mind, where you know, find what what I don't see that is making me do this thing. It's like being an athlete. It's like, dang, uh, you telling the trainers like. Man, my hamstrings hurt. <laughs> well, it's your back. But, mm, yeah, the, you know, how it's connected. How it's connected. Yeah. And a lot of times, you you know that thing you've been ignoring, you know, is what caused, boom, 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 boom. You know what I mean? I remember I hurt my ankle, bad, and it's like, you know, then my calf starts hurting, mm. then my hamstrings hurting, then my lower back's hurting. It's like, well, because it's all connected. You know what I mean? So, you know. If, for me, it's about entering that space, knowing what I want to get out of that space and doing everything and anything I can do to get what I want out of that space. And it mm -hmm. never returns void ever mm -hmm. because you're investing in yourself. So that's incredible. Caleb. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you were an athlete. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you ended up transitioning in your family home to maybe playing high school, what sports you were playing in high school and then on to college. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. My dad, he, he didn't let us play um, contact football, tackle football until we were 14, 15, like eighth grade, whatever, however old you are in eighth grade. Number one, he never wanted to just like force us to play football. And for those who don't know, my dad was a professional football player, uh, All-American defensive back for Denver Broncos and the Buccaneers throughout the 80s and 90s and playing a couple of Super Bowls. So he was well accomplished in that field. And <laughs> so, you know, growing up in the family I did where he played for the University of Alabama and both of my older brothers played for the University of Alabama, as well as their own professional careers in the NFL. So you would think that that would be a lot of pressure on me being the youngest brother out of, you know, out of uh, the boys in, in my family. And I just I got to say, I never had a real passion for football, but I had a true love and passion for like the connection, mm. the camaraderie of being on a team and uh, working towards a common goal with people. But like really and truly, and my siblings will tell you this too, like, I mean, ever since I was little, people always told me like I was going to be different. I was going to do something different because I was just such an odd kid. I was just <laughs> thought so far outside the box on a lot of different things, you know. And so when... I left high school and went to college and I was playing at the University of Alabama. It kind of got to the point there, you know, playing for Coach Saban under a very, very, I would say, intense uh, organization when it came to just the standard that he set and that leadership, that level of leadership. It was very in intense environment being a collegiate athlete like, you know, and it's and it's it's not one day is the same and feel like the next day is always harder than the one before, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, but my transition from, from football to what I'm doing now, being an actor uh, in, in, in entertainment, I really didn't see it coming. 
So at the time when I got introduced to this whole world um, of entertainment and acting and so forth, I really just saw it as an opportunity at the time to like use the gifts and talents that I had. Like my brother at the time was doing, you know, Nike commercials or doing different things. He was like, yo, bro, like you could make just blah, blah, blah <laughs> amount of money in one day. I'm like, what? Where? He's like, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, so. You, and you're not getting tackled. And I'm not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, no one's, no one's, you know, running full speed at my body. So that was kind of how it started off. And, and I think it's got so funny. Like I, there are parts of me that I kind of just tucked away when I was a boy mm. because I had focused on just like sports. And part of that was me and my grandma when I was younger and I would, and she, and I stayed with her, we would just watch daytime TV all day. <laughs> like Andy Griffith, um, Walker, Texas Ranger, General Hospital, all my children, Heat of the Night, like all of this great television, right? And all of that was just getting downloaded in me. I mm. remember just being like, man, like just being enamored with these actors, the stories and all that stuff. And so it was funny. I got on my first set and I got bit by the bug. And I think it was just like, uh, I, I was just doing background on like a music video and- I Someone just, had like referred you or how did, how did you oh, find yeah. your way onto so, the so, set? Yeah, so how I found my way onto the set, I remember the winter after my junior football season, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, like I said. And at the time I had this girlfriend and she was just like, yo, like she was a great girl. And she was, she was, listen, fellas, if there, <laughs> if, if you have a woman in your life outside your mother and your, your sisters, whatever, that will motivate you to get off mm. your butt and go make something of yourself, <laughs> keep her around. Cause this girl was like, I remember I was laying at her house one day and she was like, you got to get up. You got to get, I don't care. Go up to the, to the uh, smoothie King and apply for a job. You got it. You can't, you ain't going to be in here laying around <laughs> yes. my house. Cause she her. was, yeah, she just was, she was, she was about it. Like she was doing her own thing. So mm -hmm. anyway, I'm like, yeah, sure. I get up. And then I had that conversation with my brother. I remember putting together a story, right. Of like who I am and you know, what I've accomplished so far, a resume. And I got some, headshots done. And I remember going online to like every agency that was like in Atlanta, Nashville, Birmingham, Florida, you know, and New York, like regionally. And I went and got those agencies addresses and I got all my headshots with that letter and I mailed it to all of them, wow. emailed it, you know, to all of them. And it was so divine because it wasn't even 24 hours after that I got an email from the president of this agency, like the biggest agency in Nashville. He's like, dude, I just love your your uh, your attitude about life. And you have a very interesting story. He's like, I wondering if you would just come up and talk to me. And then I was like, you know, a week later, went up and talked to him with him. My mom, I signed. So that's how I got on the set. And that's also how I got my first movie through that through that guy. So. Yeah, the transition was was one of just being proactive. I tell young actors or new actors all the time, it's like, you know, if you really want this, like 
Just put in the work. Be proactive. Well, I don't have an agent. I don't know. I'm like, look, I, <laughs> look, I, I would say like there's so many resources at hand and there's not one sure way into this business that like who's to tell you that you're doing it wrong, the wrong way or the right way. As long as you're being proactive, I think it's the right way, mm. you know. So, so had you already finished playing football and then you continued on after or I, walk us through kind of that process? So after my junior season, I told myself, like, this is not what I want. Here we go again, editing your life, build, trying to build your life. NFL was not the vision for my life. Mm. And I was OK with that. Very confident in the fact, actually, like. I didn't feel like I had to follow in my father or brother's footsteps to be successful. My thing was like, all right, God, what do you want? I don't give a crap what everybody else wants because like you did, you designed me to do something specific. Mm. So wow. I know that thing. And I, and it was crazy, I'm telling you, I just had this feeling after my junior season of, golly, thank you, God. This goes right back to what we were talking about with going to use a bathroom. I got an inkling that like I have to quit football right now or I will miss I'll miss something. <gasps> and I was like, I had it. It was just burning in my gut. Like I have to step away from this. I can't waste another year doing this. And that's such a difficult thing. It goes back to yeah. us making decisions. But then sometimes we pull back based on how other the perception of oh, others based on that decision. So, yeah. I'm, you know, if I had been worried about what my friends, my parents, my coaches, anybody thought. Right. I would have missed out on what mm. what was for my life. So it was the I was literally like, I can't do this any longer. And that January before we went to to uh, back to workouts. I told them like a week before we had to report. I was like, I can't waste okay. any more time. I got to do this. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And see, and, and people listening, hearing this, it's like, there's so many of those moments where we're trying to do, you know, what our parents want us to do and what our community wants us to do. And, you know, so you're stuck in something. You have that feeling inside of your heart, right. inside of your gut that's telling you like, I don't want this, but you trying to, push that aside can really also prevent you from the things that will make you most joyful and mo most in service, yeah. you know? So you're, you're here at the best, one of the best football programs in the country and, and you don't have, and this is another thing. Sometimes it's hard because people want to wait to make those decisions when they know something else is lined up. Oh, like, Okay. Yeah. I'll go to save and then let them know I'm walking yeah, away because yeah. I'm a series regular, exactly. but not, no, yeah. no, 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 not, not like, that. Hey, I'm just okay. signed, but yeah. I don't know what that looks like. It was pure so, faith. It was pure yeah. faith. It was and that's pure what faith. that is. That's what that faith is in terms of you maybe not necessarily seeing and knowing, but trusting. Trusting that there's something bigger. So you walk up to them, you say a week before, this is not for me. What happens? Yeah. So a week before and really what helped motivate me was my dad. My dad was like, after the conversation I had with him, he said, um, look, if God's put a dream in your heart, you want to go be an actor, you want to pursue this thing. I can't stand in the way of that. That was the 
all the kerosene I needed on my fire. I'm like, mom and dad <laughs> mark off on this. See ya. I don't care what Coach Saban say, what my teammates wow. say, what anybody says. Because those are the same guys that are hit me up today. Like, man, I can't believe you're, <laughs> yeah. I can't believe you're on TV and da-da-da-da-da. You know what I mean? So that conversation was had and I went on my way and I was able to use everything I learned there in mm. three years under Coach Saban, all the principles, values of that organization and applied them to what I'm doing today. You know, it was like, I just knew I'm like, okay, I got to get after it. Like faith without works is dead. Like you can be believing for the biggest, best thing, whatever, you know, and, and God wants to give you that thing. But I believe that it takes working towards it, you know, because the mm. work is really just preparation to receive that thing. Mm. I believe everybody. Can you, has. Yeah. Can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So I believe that every good thing in our lives that like has been written in our destiny to receive, I believe when you receive those things, that experience of receiving those things is shaped on your preparation. So if you're ready for that thing, it's a mm. joy, it's a blessing. If you're not, you're like, dang, that thing messed up my life. You <laughs> yeah. weren't ready. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Children are beautiful, but you would rather have them in good timing. <laughs> like a child is a beautiful thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's mm -hmm. like, man, if you're looking up like, man, I don't even know how I'm a paper mm -hmm. diapers, I'm mm -hmm. this, I'm that. It's like, dang, you know? But everything that I'm believing for and 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 wanting and desiring to receive in my life there's a level of preparation that comes in that pursuit to me i just because what i will always want to do is be a good steward of my blessings right mm. that's an area that i struggle in it's a constant battle for me and i just believe in that life happens for you and not to you mm -hmm. and i believe if a lot of people were to have responses instead of reactions to, you know, <laughs> hard yeah. times in life, <laughs> yeah. um, you you would be able to have that perspective. So yeah, I just I just feel like if you're praying for something, meditating on something, speaking, trying to speak something into existence, like you better be putting that same mm. energy into preparing, preparing yourself to receive that thing. Yeah, ah. like like. For instance, this so goes good. into what you and I do is we, you know, being a series regular, right? It's like the first, yo, the level <laughs> of work, speak it, speak the it. level of work. I literally, if I tell my friends, if you just got to LA or fresh in LA <laughs> or, or have, if you have never been a series regular, <laughs> right? Siri think I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Siri's <laughs> yeah. regular, not Siri. She was ready. Yeah, she was, she, ready. She was ready. See, opportunity she presented ready. itself. She was ready. That's it. <laughs> so so this is what I was saying. I have all these friends that are like, man, I want to be I a series regular, man. I want to star. I want to be number one on, on the call sheet on a studio movie. That is beautiful. That is that is huge. And I believe that I would I would never speak against someone's dreams or their hearts desires or the vision that they have for their career but to that same person saying that i would ask them okay show me your everyday life right mm. now are you a series regular right now and what okay they'd be like well mm -mm. no what does that no. mean because you're only looking at what a series 
regular paycheck might be mm-hmm. or what that looks like on a resume. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not thinking about that's 16, 15, <laughs> 14, 15, 16 hours a day, seven, eight day episodes. And on your off day, they still calling you <laughs> yeah. to come to the studio and do four hours of fittings and then go meet with the writer and do and do it like the workload. I had to learn that. I was like, that's one thing that I learned at Alabama. It's like, okay, I know how to prep. Mm. You know? Yeah, because people see like um, you're at a school and they're like, well, I want to go to a school that has, you know, national championship caliber potential. But they they practice like national champions. champions. Man. And so, oh, you know, and yeah. And, and we even noticed this with the podcast because I'm like, you know, everyone I was younger, I would say like, I want to be in film and I'm not sure exactly in what capacity. It would be so cool to have a podcast. It's like a talk show. Yeah, yeah. Except for it's a two person team. And now we're ha- functioning like a talk show. Yeah. You're like trying to figure out like yeah. who has what mic. Uh-huh. And, and yeah, like this is probably at Alabama. You probably saw that. And what was Nick, uh, Mr. Saban, a good example for showing you of like, what does a series regular behavior or series regular perform like? What does a national champion perform like? And what are those daily habits? And he calls it the process. It's a process and our process just to get one of those championship rings, the value is in the process. The ring just represents the process that you decided I wanted to do this. That ring represents the 445 wake ups to get to your to the workouts before class, go to class all day, go to three and a half hour practice, then go to study hall until 11 p.m. and you you know like you're making you're making me smile because now (laughs) I realize that like language is really important and so we say things like I want to be a series regular or you know I want to have a successful podcast and I'm curious if we start to say things like I want to sacrifice like a series regular I want to sacrifice like a successful podcast host come on if we could really face is that what we are willing to do? That's so good, Max. That just that just took my I think mind be, to a whole different level. For <laughs> I real. think there might be places like things and and jobs and people that might get eliminated if you had to put that word sacrifice in front of it, because it would Absolutely. make very clear to you if you were willing to invest like you claim that you want. Yeah. And and you know, uh Kobe Bryant talks a, a lot about the sacrifice that he put in. He was like, yeah, you know, a lot of guys want to score 81, Mm. but they don't want to go a whole year without, you know, going out with the guys Mm. for one game. Would you sacrifice your fun for the year? And I, and I know that sound, you know, it's like, it's like, what are you willing to sacrifice at the end of the day? You know? And like you said, if we were to, if we were to put it that way, it's like, ooh. ooh. Yeah. Even as you grow, right? As an actor, yeah. you probably start to think about, you know, what are the next steps in terms of like producing and some of the things that you want to create. And you realize, okay, that would mean yeah. I'm taking my checks. Yeah. And boom. Er, uh-huh. You know, people in, and it's so easy. And I think that this is so kind of comes back into that conversation of like ownership. And, yeah. and like now we see this with, like businesses and wanting more, we know as a consumer, we want more like, well, 
why don't they just create their own show then? But you, you, someone has to be willing to make the sacrifices to do those to things. Do those. And that's huge. Yeah, it's massive. I mean, you know, one of the things that Coach, Coach Saban always talked about was people who want to be great and people who are okay with being mediocre, they they can't coexist. Mm. Like you you it meaning just, that same meaning that same person yeah no i'm yeah. saying like it within with within an organization or within a community like oh, there's wow. a separation like there's going to be a separation like the amount of guys that i went into alabama with in my mm. graduating class and the guys that we that made it out i mean you would have thought we went to vietnam the way, <laughs> you know the way them guys was dropping in the program you know yeah. it's like i think probably i bet i probably graduated with I mean, maybe 50% of my class that came in because of the sacrifice that that program required, mm. you know, the level of sacrifice. So it's, yeah, it's what am I willing to sacrifice? It's like so many times in Los Angeles that I've had to say no to this date or, you know, this event or that thing because, you know, I have a big audition coming up. What are you willing to sacrifice and put in? And so, yeah, I think I think a lot of people, like you said, would approach opportunities differently if the language was much more clear <laughs> on what it required. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so you ended up then walk us through. So you make that decision. You um, fortunately had the support of your father, which many you know people do not. And sure. Um, then walk us through how you were able to get your first movie and kind of that transition. That whole thing. Yeah. So what's funny is my first film, I wasn't even, uh, I, I, I was the lead in my first film, but I wasn't even originally cast as the lead. I went from a featured background to the lead of a massive movie and i'll unpack that story please <laughs> so i get a call from my agent and he's like yo there's a a movie that some guys two brothers are producing about a guy from your hometown and i'm like word send me the breakdown he sends me the <laughs> breakdown i see the guys who are who are um producing the movie i'm like Oh, they grew up in my hometown. Not only that, but my older brother and my parents all had a relationship with these guys. So at this point, I've quit football. I'm just in school. I'm finishing school. I've made up my mind. I'm going to graduate. Right. So this is my senior my senior year, my last semester. So I'm like, all right, let me figure out how I can be in this movie. And in my head, like I said, I wanted to be the lead. Yeah. Right. I want to <laughs> go for it. And. At this time, Max, let me tell you how little experience acting <laughs> I had. I kid you not. The first audition of this film, this even makes my me cringe listening to this, <laughs> tell this story. Not many people even know this audition story. First round of auditions is just a, basically an interview. Who are you? What are your sports? What type of sports experience you have blah 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 basically introducing yourself to the casting directors i make it through that i get they send me the the breakdown the audition and i remember before the audition like i had so much confidence i was like 
I'm going to sign this script. It's going to be my movie. <laughs> I signed the script. I, I promise. No, you didn't. Oh, do yeah. you still have it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes. August, August, uh, August 27th, 2014. I remember the date to this day. So I signed the script. <laughs> I'm doing the audition. I go, I <laughs> looking at the audition. I'm doing the audition directly into camera. <laughs> Like directly in the camera. Okay. So and, for those of you, hold, let me explain real quick yeah, for sure. context. When, you know, an actor is in an audition, they're usually reading to what we call a reader. So they're delivering those lines, which is not what we call breaking that fourth wall. So if we were looking like directly into the camera, this is now like a reality show. Yeah. It's not like we're telling. <laughs> Like in the office, they break that yeah. fourth wall. So they're having a conversation with you as an audience member. Uh-huh. So Caleb walks. I mean, this is like. Just, I would say like the main, the first thing. Oh my off the, God. So you, he, yeah. So yeah, he walks in and If you ever do that in an audition room, they'd be like, oh uh, yeah. What? Thank you for coming. <laughs> I have stories. Don't even yeah. talk to me about Kim Coleman's office. <laughs> oh um, so, man. So, okay. So, um, so go ahead. So you're breaking the fourth wall. You're reading yeah. it directly. Directly in the camera. Right. Oh, okay. Of course I he- hear back whatever, four weeks later, this whole time, you know, I'm thinking in my head, like I can get the role, I'm going to get the role. And four (laughs) weeks later, I find out I didn't, which good, you know, (laughs) you know, and my, and my agent's like, yo, there's an opportunity for you to still be in the movie. They're Mm. wanting to fill the roles of the other players on the team with act with, you know, real, real, uh, uh, with real guys who have real football experience. So I'm like, that's me, bet. So yeah. I go out to this open call audition, basically that was set up like an NFL combine where you go and you run a 49, 40 yard dash and you do agility drills just to see what kind of athlete you are um, on the football field. And our director of photography was out there as well as our stunts and sports choreographer and director were there. And I just blew that guy away he just automatically took a liking to me his name's mark ellis he's amazing he's done every single freaking sports movie you can think of he's directed basically the sports in it so you know i make a connection with him they hire me as the stunt double for the main guy which was this british actor that they're bringing in and like i'm excited i'm gonna get to learn from this guy some acting be on set At the time, I was in a film study class. I had an awesome professor. She let me, she was going to let me do the movie as credit for her class because Uh, I had to travel and be on set. Bless her. So she was like, yeah, well, don't worry about my class. I went to my other professors in in film and uh, communications department. They were like, yeah, it's cool, whatever. So I was going to be able to get, do this movie and get credit because it's like, and none of those professors could teach me what I'm going to learn on set mm. and what I want to do in life. So, you know, experience is the best teacher. So I go three weeks of rehearsal, learning all the football plays and growing my hair out. The movie was a 70s period football piece. And so I'm growing this afro. I'm reading the script every day and like I'm just learning this thing. But the closer we get to production, they haven't flew the main character, the, the Aussie over the actor. So I'm like telling them, I'm like, yo, listen, 
I don't I know what this. kind of yeah, no, 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 not even that. I was like, yo, listen, I, I don't even I don't know what kind of football y'all trying to film. But if you want me to teach this guy how to be an American football player in three days, like you right. guys are kidding yourselves. Wow. You know? Like, what do you? Yeah, think? because. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I you're trying to help them succeed as well. And yeah, and I'm you like, know I hope he's gonna... in shape. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he hasn't just been fit. I'm like, you know, because we're having full eight hour practices like that was another thing i was like playing college football is one thing making a football movie totally. people have no idea eight would, hours because okay because you would say it's just very demanding as well then oh my gosh yeah like imagine like not just a, one practice not just two practices but like three practices football and practices just sharp every, every step because yeah, every step because yeah. every play has to be choreographed yeah. So anyways, long story short, Halloween morning, the day before we were going to uh, principal photography, which means to start shooting the film, the director calls me and basically lets me know the reason that um, the actor they hired could not was not there the whole uh, time during us us rehearsing. It was because he was having visa issues, so they couldn't get his visa worked out with the British consulate or whatever is going on. So they flew a producer over to have him sit and try and, you know, work this thing out, see how much they had to pay to get his work visa to come, all of that, blah, blah, blah. And they did not get it done in time. And this movie was like 13 and a half million, like before P&A. So it's like that's a. That's a that's a big train, you know, and it's speeding yeah. fast and yeah. you can't really turn back at this point. It would have cost him too much money. So director gets on the phone with me and he's all, you know, stifled and like, I'm like, yo, what's going on? And he's and he's like, yo, we couldn't get Aussie from London and da 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 da. And I'm like, oh, crap. All right. Like I, I had told y'all, like, I wouldn't go be able to teach him in three days. Like, I get it. Like, I'm thinking, you know, if you got to let me go, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then he was like. I want to, I want you to, to play Tony. And I'm like, you know, my eyes get huge and I'm kind of like trying to play it cool. You know, I'm like, holy crap. But, but, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know, stunned. But at the same time, I was fully prepared. Yes. Like you had been reading the script. I've been been reading the the script, running out my hair, all this stuff. And so to make it make sense to the studio, they were basically like, we're going to surround him with the best cast. And what was funny was, I spent three days, oh my gosh, like pretty much rehearsal days with our director just going over and like going over the pieces and really working, working the scenes and meeting with my co-stars. So by the time I got to set, like I knew like how to just listen and trust what Mm. was going on because it was a huge thing my first time. And that's all Andy told me. He said, dude, just trust me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I had no choice but to. I'm like, if this thing goes sideways, this more on him than me. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know? So yeah, that's that's how that happened. And we made a great film, in Gorgeous. my opinion. Yeah. And it was something, it's a beautiful story. And um that movie's called Woodlawn for everyone that's listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they'll see the trailer. We'll yeah. play it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh. yeah. And so timely, I feel like some of even what's going on in that movie is also very relevant to what's going on um, in in the culture. And so can you talk a little bit about how 
you know, even as an actor, I think people think, oh, someone's an actor. It's like they're the star, but really you're just of service of writing and story. Yeah. You know, yeah. your job is to help tell a bigger story and especially something that talks about like racial injustice, anything of, the, of that nature that has such an important social context. So what was it like for you filming that? Yeah, I you just said it. And I love all of these questions. You're nailing them because going back to what I said about you really hoping and desiring for something. And I feel like God always puts you in a position to like experience that thing you're really wanting on a small scale because it'll t it's going to test you to really see like, man, did I do I really want this thing? Was I really willing to put in a sacrifice? Max, seven weeks into that shoot schedule, I was ready to <laughs> I was ready to shoot myself and you're like, I'm retired. Set. I'm retired. <laughs> yeah. Saving. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the phone saving. It Listen. doesn't matter how many Listen. extra workouts I have to do. I'm on my way back. Right. Yeah. I'm on my way back. I was <laughs> like, yo, this is just this is the craziest thing I have I've ever done in my life. I'm like, yo, these hours are ridiculous. But I love I love that you're even acknowledging this, though, because so often we go like, yes, I really want this thing. You know, I want to meet the love of my life, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And then it requires really great work. Oh, and so to, yes. to just like ask for the thing and then expect that it's like smooth sailing and flows and you're not, you know, because you start to question, like, did I make the wrong decision? But I think just mm. even being aware that the things that you really want are going to require, and it might mean that it's not smooth right away, like oh, yeah. at all. And at it might all. make you completely want to reevaluate the decision, which is <laughs> um, from your face, I can tell right. you were going, you know, what football seemed myself? easy. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm telling you. And it was so funny. The director told me, he was like, there's going to get a point. There's It happens. Every actor will tell you there gets a point in your shoot schedule to where you're like, I never want to do this ever again in my life. Yeah. <laughs> because this is the thing about acting is you can't half ass it. Mm. Like what you put down on, on camera lasts forever. Mm. You have to be on for 12, 13, 14 hours a day. So he told me, he's like, look, listen, I'm telling you right now, there's going to be a point during this shoot where you're not going to like me. You're not going to want to do this. You're not going to want to come to work. He's like, but when that happens, he's like, I'm going to ask you he's to be the, pro the, the professional actor that I believe that, you know, you can grow into and be. Mm. And this is good leadership, too. This is oh, another yeah. Good leadership because he's speaking greatness into you and also preparing you. And sometimes like it makes it so much more difficult because we don't have a realistic expectation. Yeah. no. So you're watching these things that make it seem like smooth sailing. But here he goes to cue you up, really, really set you up for potential success by saying this is the path that we're about to head into. You mm -hmm. know, so and yeah. it never feels like you're ready. But in those moments, at least he started to do that kind of subconscious programming. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, because we had a day. I was, I the day came right when he <laughs> when he said it too. He 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 had the conversation with my co-star, my love interest in the film, and then he had a separate conversation with me. He was like, "This is when I need you right now," because he mm. already saw like I wasn't talking to people during in between takes. I wasn't 
like sitting with people at lunch, I was just like, oh, bro. Like, so this is, yeah. You know well, good thing saying? This is that dark room. So yeah, you, yeah. you, you, you <laughs> I'm in my dark room phase. Can right, you freak? Right. Can y'all just leave me alone? <laughs> I see now why like people who have worked on productions are like, yo, that actor was an asshole. He was this mm. and that. And it's like, oh, nah, they were just 30 days into a 60 day shoot. And he probably missed his wife and kids. And he probably is having trouble getting into his character or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's oh, so many nice. things so that, I've, you, that I've yeah. learned in that space that I'm like, this is a job. It is a blue collar job. Chadwick Boseman said it best on the Actors Roundtable. He said, yo, I can go to work any day and get in and get hurt. Just like some dude on the construction site for 13 hours a day. He's like, this is a blue collar job. He's like, it pays well at a certain point. When you get to a certain mm-hmm, point, mm-hmm. it pays dividends. But he was like, the work itself, you got to, man, you got to love this stuff. Mm-hmm. You got to be passionate about it. And the same passion that I'm speaking with and in the same passion that I know that I have for this, uh, this art that God has put inside of me is the passion that I didn't have for football. Mm. So if I had have had that passion it would have put me in the place of my father and my brothers, right? Because I had all the athletic ability in yes. the world. I, I was, I'm not even kidding you. you. My brother said all the time, I was the best athlete. Yeah. I just didn't, didn't have that call in your heart to do yeah. that. Yeah. So that for me kind of just, once I got there and I felt it and I was able to push through that uh, experience, I was like, okay, I see, I saw everything that came with it. Right. And I also learned how to conduct myself as number one on the call sheet, which is a very big job in Hollywood. And you see a lot of people rise to that point and fall because there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. And I'm blessed to be on a show now that, you know, our number one on the call sheet, Chris O'Donnell and, uh, and, and LL Cool J, like they they are professional professionals, like they've been doing it so long, you know, uh, that they make it easy, but they'll both tell you when they when they both started out in their careers, it's like, man, you gotta. LL says it best. Yeah, please. He says, <laughs> "Playoffs ain't easy, B." <laughs> oh. <laughs> For real, He's I like, love it. Yeah, like playoffs ain't easy. Easy. Like, mm. like what you expect? Like, oh, you think you just come by the number one rated show on a network for? However, me let we're going on twelve seasons like that just happens. Like mm. I don't know. That's there's so many tough decisions personally that everyone on that set has to make in order for that set to move in a successful way. So it's like in environments like that, you either get with it or get lost. Lost. Yeah. What has you becoming a series regular and being around those gentlemen started to teach you about the type of leader that you are? Oh, man. I one thing that sports has taught me is how to listen and execute. Acting is listening, listening and reacting. That's all it is to me. That's how I see it. And the way that football programmed my mind Mm -hmm. was to be able to listen and take in information, a lot of information mm-hmm. in a very intense environment, focus on it and execute. 
it's like a Navy SEAL when you listen to him. And I'm not comparing myself to Navy no. SEAL. Yeah. But, yes. but listening to the SEALs that I have heard speak, they talk about being able to execute in very high intense situations, very dangerous situations, being able to hone in on what their assignment is and getting that thing done. And I feel like what has helped me get to the level that I am at, you know, just 28, I just take pride in listening to everybody around me, whether I'm in a scene or not in a scene. And, you know, Chris and those guys, like, I don't know what's in my future. Five years from now, CBS might want to give me my own show. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I want to do those guys in honor in learning from their leadership so that, you know, when that opportunity comes for me, I can take a younger, a younger guy on under my wing and say, hey, this is how Chris and LL taught me and this is how we run our set and da 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 da. da. So I would say like just listening and being present. I I had to have a real conversation with myself, Max, when I first started working. And that was, hey, Caleb, forget everything you know. Just wipe the slate. Come to work every single day. Like, man, I don't know nothing. Y'all the ones that built this 11-year show. Show me. Mm. Because that was kind of the attitude of everyone around me when I got there. Of like, we know this ain't your first gig, but this your first gig. Mm-hmm. And they do that because they care so much about the show. So don't come in here, you know what I'm saying, mm. with some ego because you've yeah. done a few roles or something. Nah, take it back to, to, to day one of saying, okay, obviously I have the skills to be there. I wouldn't be there. But what I'm talking about is just having humility and being and being willing to just listen, even if you've heard the thing 10 million times, to just listen and say, okay, cool, like, all right. And that that has helped me so much just navigating those working relationships on set. I feel like what you even uh, making that conscious decision to come in in that way keeps you curious. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're already in a place where you are acknowledging that you don't know anything, you know, it keeps you curious. And I think that it's just um, as an actor, you have to be curious, Max. Like if you're not asking questions as you're as in your character, I don't think you're bringing out the best versions of your character. Like you think about us every day as humans, our brains are constantly problem solving, right? Asking, asking questions and this and that. So I think that's a great point. And I would go so far as to say that I think anyone, actor or not, you know, will find benefit in their life to employ curiosity. So even if you're mm. standing in the grocery store and there's someone's there next to you, you being curious about who they are and how they maneuver in their world allows us to create a compassion that we end up having for people because you have empathy when you can start to ask those questions and see how they experience life. And Absolutely. we do see that really now, like, People are always asking me, like, Max, how do we um, 
solve these deep rooted issues. And I was like, well, we have to first start with curiosity. We can't get Mm. to a place and be compassionate if we're not Mm. curious. How could you possibly respect what LL Cool J is doing if you aren't curious in terms of how he got there? Yeah. You would never learn to be able to really see through and be able to support his mission and Mm. vision of the show if you're not initially curious. But that does bring me to another point that I want to ask you a little bit about. That curiosity then requires that people are vulnerable yes because it's it would be one thing for you to go on set and someone's like i've got this i've been doing this without saying hey let me support you let me guide you can you talk a little bit about um i'm always fascinated about how you're exploring masculinity and vulnerability Mm. and transparency can you kind of talk to us a little bit about how that um has affected your life and is moving your life? Yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up seeing a great example of a man watching my dad, wanting to be like my dad. I sleep like my dad. (laughs) I talk like my dad. I clap like like my dad. I look like my dad. And I've seen my dad. My dad was the first man I saw cry, ever cry. I didn't have to see it on TV or I, my dad showed me a level of affection growing up that made me comfortable with not even, ha- not even ever putting up those walls. You know what I mean? Like these toxic mm-hmm. masculinity, masculinity yeah. these walls we create so that we don't let people in. You know what I mean? Because we're afraid truly that that person might hurt me. I think those things are really cowardice. When you see that toxic masculinity, it's insecurity. It's a weakness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That really is not yeah. coming from a place of it's it's amazing. It's such a it's such it's so crazy to me that like you want to present yourself strong, mm-hmm. but it's only because you're you know you're weak. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The at, at its core. So being in nurtured in that way by my father has allowed me to grow into a man that is not afraid of my emotions and empathy and say, you know, how you were say it, wearing my heart on my sleeves or because honestly, like I believe in a God that is love, like that is redeeming. And if he could do it, I can be that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. have that spirit. You know, um, with all of the powerful things that I believe are true about God, I'm like, if he can display compassion for Mm. souls lost or not lost, like, you know, like how much more should I, you know? So for me, like that's, I navigate the world with a masculinity that I believe is rooted in true love for myself and for and for others. You know, that's just how I see it and how I go about it. That's gorgeous. And I and I like I'm a testament that Caleb lives this way, which is in everything that he does, which is why we want him on this podcast in the first place. Um can you talk a little bit about on that same lane in terms of some people don't have 
or hadn't seen that example and are still learning how to become the sort of man that you're describing rooted in unconditional love. Mm -hmm. I'm really passionate about preventative care. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you do in your own personal life that help you show up most fully? Mm. I talk to myself. I tell me how much I love me. <laughs> For real. Yeah. <laughs> I talk to God <laughs> when I wake up, wake up, then I talk to me. And those words of affirmation, whether you're hearing them from someone else or you're telling them to yourself personally, they hold the same power. Words are power. That's beautiful. You know, because they manifest. It's a spiritual act that you're doing, really. When you're speaking and then that spiritual thing manifests into something physical you know mm -hmm. um so for me that's something that i practice i would say be a servant like i so all right where am i at my life right now i'm 28 yeah, years please. old i got a blessed career it's going it's only go going to get better what's the next step for me i'm i i'm working on right now being a husband before I'm a husband. I'm watching my dad and I have been watching my dad, but I'm really watching him on a level that I haven't before. And I'm soaking up things that I believe that when that person comes in my life, it'll be an easier transition partnering with somebody and living with somebody and loving them the way they deserve, right? So it like things that I'm practicing in that regard, like you're asking about, I'm going out of my way to create a, a, a habit of service because that's the type of husband and dad I want to be. I want to serve my home. I want to protect my home. During this quarantine, I've been with my family. I go out of my way, ask mom, like, hey, mom, how can I serve you today? What do you need? Right. Dad, same thing. Dad, how can I serve you today? What do you need? You know, and it's like he said, hey, man, you want to be a husband? Yep. He's like, you got to be one now. Mm. That's how my dad, you know, he caught me my in the car with that. <laughs> he caught me in the car with that one day. He was just like, he's like, mm. man, you want to be a husband? We, you know, and and so it's just putting those things in place now, practicing those things now. Like I said, that that positive self talk. What are you thinking about yourself? What are you speaking over yourself? Then that, how are you loving yourself, right? And then how are you loving others? How are you serving other people? Yeah, I, yeah, I know that kind of went in a different lane. I'm like, <laughs> Caleb, <laughs> this became a matchmaking service. It's going to be hot on this line. I'm going to get so many women coming. Men, women, everybody's coming right. on like, um, about that husband, yeah. Caleb. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, yeah, that's just, I just felt like, I don't know, that's for somebody. Yeah. It's for me right now. It's and kind of, for me, yeah, my yeah. eyes are all watering up. I think it's gorgeous. I think like the, you actively seek out new places to grow and to also find applicable things that you can mm -hmm. do. And I think that that's really important because you're observing, but you're also then bringing that action in as you described. And, and that really is so moving. Um, you're an incredible man. Um, what are you are, you know, we follow you on social. We see that you're at this academy. Um, can you talk to us about what is the academy? Uh, what does it represent? Yeah, yeah. Um, who, who does it belong to? Can you give us insight there? Yeah. So um, we opened our own 
training facility. My father and my two older brothers, they run the facility along with, you know, obviously other employees. Our main focus is we say it's invest, influence, impact, inspire. And those are the four principles that we focus on at Steel Academy. And with those four pillars, you know, we want people to, we want to impact people, right? We want to be a positive impact. Then we want to influence them to be a positive impact on other people, people in their community. And then we want to teach the importance of investing, right? Investing in your body and your, in, in all, all threefold spirit, mind, body. And I think you, you come to a lot of these places, right? Gyms and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's like, you only are just focused on the physical. Mm-hmm. And so you're missing a whole, compo- whole component of mind and spirit that I feel like if those aren't right, your physical body can't be right. Because mm, absolutely. Um, I, I, I know the truth of that. Uh, um, I, I had a, a autoimmune disease called alopecia, right? Where your hair starts falling out because your body is stressed. And I'm mm. like, wait, that's something going on inside my body and it's, and it's manifesting Man. physically. There you go. It's a mental thing. So my hair can fall out because of a thought that I'm thinking. That's nuts. Yeah. That we, mental we, becomes physical. That yeah, mental like, becomes what? physical, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, how do, we, we don't, it, my, one of my buddies says it best. He talks about mental hygiene, <laughs> spiritual yes. hygiene, you know, uh, staying clean. So um, anyway, at our, at our academy, like we, there, you can be whatever age, you know, between like six and 76, you know, but it was a, always a dream of my family's to have a facility in our city and we'll grow to one day having other, other locations. But I think the, the most important, or I would say, um, uh, the most valuable thing about the facility is that, like I said, it's threefold. Like we're going to train your mind, we're going to train your spirit, and we're going to train your body. Incredible. And I, I just love I because I, I mentioned this several times. I think that sometimes not everyone feels like they have support. And mm-hmm. so I feel that what you guys have done with Still Academy has become that. And when you start to inject and create and foster people's mind and body and spirit, yeah. They become that person for themselves first and then for somebody else. Mm -hmm. So you guys really are creating this beautiful net in terms of the type of men that you are, the type of um, men and women that you support there at Steel Academy. And then those people go into their homes, into their communities, and it really helps spread the message and the spirit. Um, so I'm really excited for you guys that when I saw it online, I was like, man, I need to go out there to Steel Academy. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, get it. You. you know, I was looking up flights. Like, where mm-hmm. is it? Hey, um, it's, it's, it's a full service. So it's yeah. worth the time getting out here, you know? Yeah. Here, yeah. So where is the actual academy so our, for yeah. people listening? Our academy is in Birmingham, Alabama. So if you're ever in Alabama, driving through Alabama, come see us. We'll take care of you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Caleb, we cannot thank you enough for giving us some of your precious time. Like Listen, you are we, an incredible you, man. You and I, we could do this for 24 yeah. <laughs> hours. I already know the conversations we've had, you know, so I just appreciate you valuing who I am enough to, 
give me a space on your platform, Max. And I just got to say for everyone that's listening and been listening, like Max is just the real deal when it comes to um, a woman who wants to just lead by example and not just be out here trying to talk or, you know, uh, just be, you know, emotional like she, you know, because I get caught up in that, the emotions <laughs> of life easily, mm. right? I want to yeah. say this, say that, and da, 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 instead of being like, okay, the the emotions are cool, but let's do something. Let's do something. So yes. I just commend you for Thank that you, and building this and, and saying, I'm not going to, you know how many people talked about podcasts <laughs> in 2020 and then COVID came, they were like, well, well you know, well, or whatever, whatever excuse <laughs> You know, yeah. that did it. So um, thank you so much. You. Yeah, and we'll hold space for you. Um, I know that so many people are going to be touched by this episode. So we would love to have you back on and check in with you. And Absolutely. we'll link all of the shows that Caleb is on and a part of and the movies that he's been in so that you can watch him and connect with him on social when he's not in his disconnect phase. We'll respect him there. <laughs> when I'm out of my dark room. <laughs> yes, when he's out of his dark room. Please send him yeah. your love. And Caleb, we can't wait to talk to you again. Yeah, thank you so okay. much, Max. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you use and head over to mgmethod.com to stay in the loop by signing up on our email list, which will give you all things MG. MG.